welcome to Church Experience Online. We're so happy you joined us today. As you watch this teaching video, if you have any questions or need help getting connected, please don't hesitate to reach out by phone or email. Also, our website is the best place to go if you'd like to access helpful Growth Step resources. Join a serving team, connect in a life group, get your questions answered, or support this movement financially by giving online. At the end of this teaching video, you'll hear one of our Church Experience Worship original songs, and we hope that gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you've learned. Thanks again for joining us at Church Experience Online. on quite a trip together this summer. We're going on a journey through Joseph's life, and we're going to learn so many lessons on how to honor God, how to live for Him in our lives. Well, I'm excited about all that we're going to learn, but let's go ahead and rewind the tape, and let's summarize where we've been so far. So far, we've talked about how Joseph was born into the household of Jacob. Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob became the nation of Israel through his 12 sons. And, and Joseph was one of these sons. He was a favored son in his father's house, so favored that his father gave him an ornate robe. That robe represented how his father felt about him, his affirmation and his love. Well, that robe was stripped from him for one reason. He had a dream. God put God-given dreams in his heart. And those dreams, as he shared them with his family, caused jealousy and envy. And his brothers literally stripped that robe from him and threw him into the bottom of a cistern. There he was all alone and they could have left him to die, but instead they decided to sell him into slavery. And that's where we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 39, verse one. It says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. So Joseph is now in an unfamiliar place. New people, new culture, new customs, everything is new. He probably felt disoriented. Have you ever felt that way? Yeah, I feel that way every time I go through the Florida Everglades. <laughs> I feel that way because I'm from Michigan. Uh, where I grew up, I didn't know anything about alligators and pythons, like as long as your vehicle. I mean, I didn't know anything about any of that stuff. But th there's signs everywhere, beware of alligators. And I mean, it's just crazy stuff. And, and when you're driving down through the Everglades, there's even a road you go through called Alligator Alley. I mean, how messed up is that? I mean, you don't want to break down on that road, Alligator Alley. I mean, imagine breaking down at night. I mean, just think about it. I mean, you think about this stuff. What happens if you got stuck in the Everglades at night and, and your job was to get back to civilization alive? Like, how would, how would you get there? And, and, and more importantly, if you were to die, how would you die? How bad would that be, right? I mean, that's the kind of things you're thinking of as you're disoriented in a place like the Everglades. It's, if it's very unfamiliar to you like it is for me. But that's where the setting is today that we're uh, communicating from here in the Everglades. And the Everglades is a unique place. And we're going to get back to that in a moment. But Joseph, you know, he found himself, he found himself in a new place, in a strange place, in a place that had lots of different things going on. And he had to adjust. It was a new world for him. And, and for Joseph, he's not unlike us because Joseph faced a huge setback in his life. And, and Joseph's setback was a betrayal from people who should have had his back. 
And he had to relearn some things. He had to adjust to some new problems. And he did that very successfully as we'll talk about in the coming weeks. But I wonder what setbacks might be going on in your life right now. Some things you might be tempted to be discouraged by. I wonder what setbacks there might be in an important relationship or a marriage or with some children. I wonder what breakdowns could be going on in some of our lives when it comes to our careers or our finances or maybe our overall happiness. Maybe there's been a a setback in our health from a bad doctor's report. I, I, I don't know what the setbacks are in your life, but just think about it for a moment. What are some of the challenges that you might be facing? Where are you disoriented currently? Where did things not turn out how you expected them? So when it comes to those setbacks in your life or the setbacks that do come into your life down the road, know this, when you're drained or defeated, you don't have to be done. You don't have to be done. You don't have to quit. When you're weary, when you're tired, when you feel like the victory is not in sight, you don't have to quit. But listen, this message is not a message of, hey, don't quit. You can find that message on any best-selling bookshelf at any bookstore. This is not a generic don't quit. No, there's two things that make this very different. One is that we're focused on the eternal, not the earthly. What am I, what am I talking about with that? What I'm saying is that when we get defeated, when we get discouraged, we might have questions that everybody else in the world would have, even if they don't believe in God. And the question is simply this, what if? And what if this doesn't get better? What if it doesn't improve? What if my worst fears happen? What if I, what if I never win? What if I never experience victory? And we have all these what if questions, but that's short-sighted. What if is very short-sighted. It's focused on the earthly. As a believer in Jesus, I wanna be focused on the eternal. When I'm f- focused on the eternal, I'm not just asking what if, I'm saying even if. Even if it doesn't go well, even if that what if scenario that is not ideal happens, then even if that happens, I'm not gonna quit because I know my eternal home. It's with with God, with his presence, it's in heaven where there's no more pain and loss and defeat. There's victory, ultimate victory. And so I believe within my soul that the best truly is yet to come. So even if the bad things happen here, the, the what ifs that we worry about, Well, I can still have victory in the end, so that's why I don't give up. But there's also another reason that makes this very different than a secular don't quit kind of message. And that's this, is that God's presence is always with me. So I always feel God's presence. I always know He's there. It might not be an emotional feeling, but, but I always know He's there because of His truth, because of His word. It's always there in my life. His presence, even in the, in the darkness, in the worst moments. So I don't quit because God's still with me. He hasn't given up on me. I might give up on myself. Others might give up on me, but God will never give up. So I keep going. That's the message that we need to know. And this is the message that Joseph had. In fact, a woman in our church named Alice uh, shared something with me that she saw online. And I think this says it well. It says, Jesus didn't say, I am finished. <laughs> he said, it is finished. He was just getting started. And he's just getting started in your life. He said, it is finished on the cross. Sin and death, they don't have victory anymore. Jesus has victory. And really, in your life, you might feel defeat, but when when your life is founded and grounded in Jesus, you can have victory over whatever the world brings at you. Eventual victory will come. We know in the end that Jesus will win and he can win in your life if you allow him to. So know that he's just getting started. Also, don't make decisions in defeat that keep you there. Some people, when they face defeat, 
they make bad decisions reactively against the problems that come and they end up staying in defeat and living in defeat long term. I think we need a resiliency in our life. In fact, I was talking to a good friend recently and I told her, one of my hopes is to teach my kids to be resilient. Because in life, you're continually facing problems, right? I mean, you know this, they're always popping up in your world and it might be a career problem one week or a relationship problem another week or a financial or health problem. And resiliency is the ability to bounce back. When, when, when you get down and everybody gets down, everyone has low days, dark moments, seasons where it's, it feels like a drought. But resiliency is the ability to bounce back and not stay down when you're defeated. And Joseph, he hit a really difficult spot and he was in a low place, but he had a resiliency about him that I absolutely love. And you see it in Genesis chapter 39, verse two. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. So he's disoriented in this new place. And it says, he was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. So as he's living in this new place, he's in this new home where he, he could have been very discouraged, but he stayed faithful and he didn't quit. In every relationship that you're in, I guarantee there's gonna be moments, if it's a long-term relationship, where there's down moments. Every group that you're a part of or church community or anything you're involved in, there's gonna be low moments. Things are not always gonna go ideally at how you want them to. Any journey that you're on, any trip that you take, there's gonna have low points. But resiliency is the ability to bounce back when those moments hit and to not quit, to not give up. You know, I love the idea of, of airboats. The first airboat was invented in 1905 in Nova Scotia, Canada by Alexander Graham Bell. The earliest airboats to really see any kind of action were in 1915 when the airboats were used by the British Army in World War I. Airboats were not really widely used by civilians until the 1930s. And they are so much fun. I mean, you can take a trip through the Everglades on an airboat and you can see alligators, you can see beautiful birds, you can see trees and water. It is just a great time. I love a good ride on an airboat. And you know what? If you think about airboats and how they were first invented, I mean, somebody had to look out and see something that everybody else saw before and say, you know what? I got an idea. Because everybody else before then would have looked out and said, I don't know how we're gonna get through this. How are we gonna get through this swamp? I don't know, how, we're gonna have to go around it. And somebody took a flat boat and they put a big fan on it. And they said, come on, let's go, let's do this. Whatever it takes. And I think that's the heart and the mentality of a follower of Jesus. Someone who's walking with the Lord. Hey, whatever it takes, it's for him and he's with us, he's on our side. So even if I'm in difficulty, even if I'm in defeat, I'm not gonna stay there. Whatever it takes, I'm gonna press on because God is with me and he wants to work in my life. He wants to do greater things. And so, so I'm all in whatever it takes. So you're going to face obstacles. We know that. So maybe this lesson in your teaching notes will really help. How resilient am I at facing obstacles? How resilient are you? That's a good thought to take into your prayer life this week and just spend some time wrestling that down with the Lord saying, God, how resilient am I? Do I give up too quick? Do I trust you enough? Even when it gets harder, do I only follow you when the blessings come? Do I only follow you when it's easy? Well, progress always requires overcoming great obstacles. And if you wanna see God do great things in your life, and Joseph, by the way, was gonna see God do some great things in his life, you have to overcome obstacles on the way. In fact, the road to seeing God do great things in your life is less like a highway and more like trudging through a swamp where there's difficulty and danger on every side. Well, Joseph is succeeding wildly in his new home and God is blessing him. And I, I wanna know why. Let's look at the story in Genesis chapter 39, 
verse 3. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and all he had, he entrusted to his care, everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. So Joseph did not choose his circumstances. And you know what? You may have not chose your circumstances either. But maybe we can learn something from Joseph because Joseph knew two things that sustained him and helped him and led to the blessing of God in his life. One, he knew that God was with him. Even though he was no longer with his family and he was in a foreign place, even though he was in the middle of hardship and he may have felt alone, he knew in his heart that he was not alone. It says the Lord was with him. Also, Joseph knew a second thing that's very important. He knew that although he couldn't control his circumstances, he could control his response to his circumstances. And that's exactly what he did. He kept honoring God. He kept being faithful. And instead of complaining about his situation, he committed himself to it. And he did his best and God blessed him because he gave his best. You know, it's interesting because sometimes we wonder, how do I get under the covering of God? And isn't that what we want, to be under the covering of God, the blessing of God? And, and when we fall into hard times, we get into bad circumstances, isn't it easy to question, well, well, God, why did you allow this to happen? Joseph could have easily slipped into self-doubt and discouragement. He could have got angry at God for his circumstances, but he didn't. He stayed under the covering and blessing of God because he was faithful to God and he maintained his faith, even though his situation seemed futile. You know, a lot of people move down to Florida. I, I've realized this over the last five and a half years that the people come from the Midwest, they come from the Northeast. You'll meet a lot of people from New York and Boston, places like this. And a lot of times they come down because they say it's too cold up there. It's, it's just too cold. But then they come down and inevitably there's a handful of them that will get through the summer months and they'll say, it's just too hot down here. It's too cold up there. It's too hot down here. And then they'll, what they'll do is they'll, they'll move halfway back. We, we actually have a phrase for this in Florida. We call them halfbackers. <laughs> they, they come all the way down. It's just too hot. So they go halfway back and they, they land somewhere in the Carolinas or Tennessee or Kentucky or something. And unfortunately for them, they realize that in the middle of the country, they, they still have winter. So they're still too cold. And then they still have summer and it's just as hot. So they're too hot. So they're, they're miserable all the year now. <laughs> they're too hot and too cold. So I think the right way to do it for those of us that are living here in Florida is to learn how to handle the heat because <laughs> we can't get rid of the heat. It comes every year in those summer months. It gets blistering hot. So how do you handle it? Well, one of the things that you observe over time is that if you're observing a crowd, you'll, you'll see the newbies. You'll see the, the transplants, the people that have just come in and you'll see them wandering around, maybe at a park or a party and they're out in the sun frolicking and having fun, but they're getting sunburned and they're sweating profusely and they're hot and miserable. But then if you look over to the fringes and the edges, you'll, you'll see the locals. You'll see the people that have lived in Florida for quite a while and, and they're, they're under shade, you know, they're, they're, they're covered <laughs> and they, they realize that it's a lot less hot when they're standing in the shade. You know, what we really need is we need to learn how to handle the heat in our life, the pressure, the problems in our life. And how do we do that? I'll tell you how we do that. We do that by coming under the covering of God, by coming under the shade of God's blessing. Listen to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 25, verse four. It says, you have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in their distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. So he's a shade from the heat in our life a shelter from the storm. 
So, so when the fire burns hot for the problems in our life, the pressure, when it comes strong and it burns hot, he's a shade from the heat. This is what the Lord loves to do for his people, but his people have to turn to him. They, they have to follow him and honor him. And, and I love that the Lord is that shade for us. And I, I just want to ask you again, what, what setbacks, what problems, what difficulties are currently in your life? And, and let me also ask you this. Have you thought about turning them over to the Lord? You may believe generically that God is there in your life, but have you specifically said, God, I need you to show up in this area of my life. I need your help. I need your strength. I need your presence and your power. Bring that to him this week in prayer and, and watch as the power of God assures you and comforts you and gives you peace even in the storm that you may be going through. I want to look back at Genesis chapter 39 again, verse 4. And I want you to notice something that's really incredible for the future of Joseph's life. Verse four, it says, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. And Potiphar put him in charge of his household. And he entrusted, listen, he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Now, those of you that know the full life of Joseph, we'll get to that in, in future weeks. But think about this. Joseph, this was not the last time that someone would look at him and say, Joseph, here's everything in my household and I want you to manage it. In fact, there would be another time that someone would look at him and say, Joseph, I want you to manage everything for me. And the stakes would be epically higher. In fact, it would impact Joseph's entire family, his whole nation. Actually, it would impact an entire region. And so Joseph right now in this season where it felt like a trial, in many ways it was a test. In many ways it was a time of strengthening his muscle and trusting in the Lord and leadership and managing. And God has given him an opportunity here. He may have initially saw it as a problem, but God is actually bringing it into his life as provision for what he wants to do through Joseph's life. I wonder if that might be true in some of our lives, whether we've realized it or not. Now, Joseph could have complained here. He could have just thrown a fit and complained and argued with God and said, this is not fair. What about my other brothers? They're in my father's household. They have so many good things going for them. They're not servants. They're not held in slavery. He didn't complain about his situation. And, and I know for me, it's, it's very tempting when things don't go well to start complaining. And maybe I'm not complaining to God, but I'm at least complaining to myself, right? If you've been there, it's like, why is this happening to me? Why now? And, and we can so easily get sucked down that hole. But, but I love that Joseph, his example for us here is that he was faithful, even in the small things in his life. Even in the trials, he was faithful with small things and God, because he saw the faithfulness of Joseph, was able to bless him with bigger things in his life. Here, here's the lesson. I want you to write this down in your teaching notes. Waiting can provide better preparation. Waiting can provide better preparation. Some of us are in seasons of waiting in our life and we've been praying for something for a long time and we're getting impatient. You can do some really foolish things when impatience settles in. What if the waiting had a purpose to it like it did in Joseph's life? What if God wasn't holding out on you, but he was helping you? See, the challenge in the waiting room, though, is to not neglect the people that are currently in your life. So easy to get fixated on what's next that we forget that God has ordained what's around us now. And you have people in your life. You have projects in your life. You have responsibilities and opportunities, ministry to be done, people to be helped. The problem is that sometimes we can get too, too focused on ourselves and we can get too self-introspective. And there's a point in, in probably a line where we can cross when it becomes all about us. It's good to reflect and, and think about our ways. We know that, but, but you start thinking too much about your situation and why me and how did I get here and what about my future? We can forget that God, a big part of his purpose in our lives is to serve those around us now and to be outward focused and more importantly, upward focused on him. 
and trusting in him. So the waiting room, it can be challenging in our life, but there's a purpose in it. You know, I was so anxious to get down to Florida and I love living here in Florida. Not only do we have these beautiful Everglades, but, but we have beaches and we have so many amazing people from all around the world and there's so much to do. And, and I love the area, but more importantly, my heart was beating fast for the mission. I was coming to Florida, not just for the geography. I like Florida, but I was coming here for a mission. There was 3 million people in the Tampa Bay area. And most of them I knew would not be in church on an average weekend and not following Jesus and not living for him and not headed for heaven. So I couldn't wait to get to Florida. So when we left and pulled out of our driveway in Michigan, and we wanted to go to Florida, but God put a little waiting room in there between Michigan and Florida. And he provided actually a great opportunity for me to go to 12 Stone Church for seven months in Atlanta and serve on their team there. And the purpose was mentoring. It was a provision provided by God through my mentor, Pastor Kevin Myers. And he said, Brandon, why don't you come on down here? Your wife's pregnant and you already have three kids. And instead of trying to birth a baby and birth a church at the same time, why don't you come here? And, and by the way, we'll, we'll pay your salary while you're here and we'll pay for your health insurance. And we didn't know what was going to happen with all those things as we were heading down to start a new church. And so that was a blessing. And then I was able to do fundraising while I was there and I was able to prepare myself and, and lay the vision for what would be eventually church experience. And, and what I saw initially as a delay in my plans was actually a perfect part of God's plans. You know, it's very possible that the things that you're waiting on now may be purposeful and a part of God's plan. Have you surrendered your plans to God? What stories are developing in your life right now while you think you're waiting but God is actually working. Well, let's get back to the life of Joseph. Genesis chapter 39, verse six. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. Hold on ladies, like, this is your guy. He's single, he's good looking and he's well built. I mean, he's, he's a stud, all right? So this is the guy and somebody takes notice. Check it out. Verse seven, after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. All right, you thought drama only happened in our world. This is a long time ago, but it's going on. Verse eight, he refused with me in charge. He told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then, listen to his perspective, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, she's persistent, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Wow, Joseph did so many things so well here. I'm amazed. So, so let's just list them out. So Joseph is a man under authority. He respects the person that God put over him and he's honoring his authority. He's honoring God. He's saying, how could I do such a wicked thing to God? So he's pleasing to God. He refuses to commit adultery. So he has sexual integrity in his life. Not only that, he sets up good boundaries and he says, he wouldn't even, he refused to be with her. He wouldn't even be around her. He did so many things so well. It's like, how did he do all that? It's kind of like when I'm watching Steph Curry or James Harden pop a three-pointer deep behind the line when there's a defensive player on him, a hand in the face, they're falling back. It's like, how in the world did they make that shot? I, I look at this guy, I'm thinking, that's incredible. Joseph had such amazing integrity, integrity. Where, where does that word come from? You know, the word integrity actually comes from the root word integer. And you know, think of like a whole number 
It means without deviation. So you can picture like something with no inconsistency. If there was this picture, this being a branch, if it had another twig growing out of it off to the side, that would lack integrity. So integrity is in a sense, a form of consistency. It's a form of no deviation, nothing lacking, always consistent. You are who you say you are. And Joseph, he was the real deal. Behind the scenes, he was, he was who he says he was. And, and I love that. I'm amazed by all these things that he did. So how about you? I don't want to step on your toes unnecessarily, but I, I do want to ask a question that could help. I mean, how, how are you living with integrity? Is there a deviation? Are, are you who others think you are? How about when no one but God is looking? Who are you? How's your character at work and at home? How's your character when it's just you? Are you honest? Do you lie, cheat, or steal? How's your language? Is it pleasing to God, the things that are coming out of your mouth? How about your heart and your motives? Do you do everything you do with all your heart? Or is there an apathy underneath the surface of everything you do? Do you do what you do with excellence? Do you do it for the Lord? Are there any hidden secrets in your life that God knows about, that, but that maybe you've successfully, at least for now, been able to hide from others? Do you have integrity? Joseph, listen, this is so important. Joseph had integrity. He wasn't perfect. Only Jesus was perfect. But Joseph was a man of God. And God, as you're gonna see in his story as we take this trip together, God blessed the journey that Joseph was on. God did great things through his life. And one of the reasons why he did was because Joseph was a man of integrity. How's your integrity? Well, specifically his integrity, you see here shining through in the area of his sexuality. And lacking integrity in the area of sexuality has destroyed many people and even many Christians. Andy Stanley said this about it. He said, nothing has stolen more dreams, dashed more hopes, broken up more families. And isn't that heartbreaking when we see it? It's messed up more people psychologically than our propensity to disregard God's commands regarding sexual purity. Most of the major social ills in America are caused by, he says, or fueled by the misuse of our sexuality. Wow, that's why this point is very important in your lesson notes. I hope you'll write it down and take it with you throughout this week. Sexual desire is destructive if left undisciplined. Your sexual desire, if not disciplined, can ruin you. Think about it, it can ruin your family. It can ruin your future. See, God's blessing was on Joseph because he had integrity, even in this critical area of his sexuality. You know, God teaches that sexual uh, sexuality is a, is a beautiful thing. It's, it's a blessing from God. He created it. It was his idea. And he blessed us with that gift. But he said, you know, this is meant to be in the confines of how I created it. And I know best. It's meant to be within a marriage. And I want a man and a woman to enjoy this gift and, and to procreate and have children. I want it to be a beautiful thing. But much like a fire that has great qualities when it's contained in its boundaries, you, you can be kept warm on a cold night by a fire, you can cook your food over it. But man, if that fire goes outside of its boundaries, if it's unleashed, it can cause all kinds of destruction. And God tells us in his word, not to, to limit our freedom or our joy, no, no, but to increase our joy. He says, I've created and I've created it within certain boundaries. And when you start to take it out of those boundaries, it can be destructive. And so God tells us how to, Use our sexuality, not to limit us, but to free us so that we're not encumbered by all the things that would destroy us through the misuse of our sexuality. Well, Joseph honored God in his sexuality. And I wonder if that wouldn't also be another good reflection question today as we're asking a lot of questions. If that was a question we could just sit down together and talk, just the two of us, how are you doing? 
How are you doing in that area? Is there any hidden secrets? Is there any temptation and sexual sin that you're getting dangerously close to? Any areas you've kind of been flirting with? And maybe something that could ruin you that right now at this time, it just looks like something shiny and fun on the outside and you haven't thought too much about the long-term consequences. You know, God is watching. He's watching to see how you're handling that. And maybe you feel stuck. Maybe you feel stuck by your past and there was some sexual sin in your past. Listen, God forgives. And, and when you come to him genuinely, he will forgive you and give you a fresh start. He loves to do that. Maybe you need more than forgiveness. Maybe you need help because you're struggling and you've asked maybe forgiveness many times and you've tried to get out of an addiction or you try to get out of a bad relationship that's, that's not honoring to God sexually. Or you, you've tried to make a step in that area and live a life of purity, but you just can't seem to do it. Your step might be a step to get help. A Christian counselor, a pastor, a good friend who can come alongside you, an accountability partner, reach out and get that help you need. Yes, pray about it, but also reach out to someone who can come alongside you. See, God blesses sexual purity and he wants to help you achieve that in your life. Well, Joseph had that. And not, not just sexual purity, but he was a man of integrity through and through. And let's just back up for a second. Think about all the pressure now in Joseph's life. Not only is he disoriented by being in this new place and <laughs> a different place, but but now he's moved from slave to manager in the household of Potiphar. So he's got leadership responsibilities now. He's got management responsibilities. That's pressure. Now he's got the wife of his boss who's always coming on to him. That's some serious pressure. I mean, Joseph has a lot of pressure in his life. How do you handle pressure? Well, there's four ways that we mishandle pressure if we don't surrender it to God. And maybe you just want to jot these down in the margin of your notes uh, just to help you uh, think through in your own life. How do I mishandle pressure when the pressure is on in my life and I feel the stress and there's more going on than I think I can handle? How, where's my outlet? Because if it's not to God, it's likely one of these four things. One, anger. You're not careful, you can take that pressure out on the people that you care most about. You can take it out on your kids, you can take it out on your spouse, you can take it out on the people that you care about or your coworkers, your employees. So be careful that you don't let anger get a hold of you when pressure is in your life. Another way we mishandle pressure is through an addiction or an unhealthy appetite. There's a lot of different forms of it. It might be overuse of alcohol or misuse of drugs. It could be a sexual addiction. It could be all kinds of things that can ruin you, but, but be aware of that that what could be behind a lot of that could be pressure, pressure that's mishandled and not given over to God, but instead is released through an unhealthy addiction. Number three is attitude. You know, it's real easy to get a bad and a foul attitude and get negative and toxic and just really ruin your life when you have a lot of pressure. And what's really behind it is you don't know how to handle the pressure. And so that's coming out in your perspective and you just see the world as a bad place and people are bad and life's bad. And a lot of that's because of pressure that's mishandled. And if you don't give your pressure to God, a fourth thing that can creep into your life is apathy. Yeah, I just don't care anymore. There's just too much pressure. I can't do it. I give up. I, I can't keep up. It's not meant for me. I, and I back out and I quit and I bail on really good things in my life and good relationships and good opportunities and good responsibilities because I haven't given the pressure over to God like I need to. Now, God will allow you to help carry that pressure. He's put it in your life and, and that pressure can be a good thing in many ways, but he wants you to give it to him. He wants you to surrender it to him. And so this final question in your teaching notes is really important. Have I surrendered my pressure to God? It's a daily choice. It's not a one-time choice. It's an ongoing choice. When I, when I surrender to God my pressure, he helps me carry that pressure in a way that's honoring to him. So Joseph did it right. He was in this foreign land and he had integrity. He honored God. He knew God was with him. And God did some amazing things in his life as he wants to do in your life on your journey. 
So as you continue on this trip with us, as we study the life of Joseph, and as you continue on your journey, as you take your trip, I hope that you will honor God, surrender to the pressure to Him, live a life of integrity, and see God do more through your life than you can ever imagine. Right on, right on. Hey, let's pray together. God, I pray for everybody here in this message that God, you would, through your spirit and through your kindness, you would convict them of areas in their life that need to change. God, it's not easy when that conviction comes, but we know on the other side of conviction, there's a calm, there's a peace, there's a joy that surpasses anything that we can comprehend or understand because we know that we're honoring you. Not, not perfect, but we're, we're faithful. And that's what we want, God. We want our faith to lead to faithfulness. And Joseph was, was faithful to you, God, and you, you did great things in his life and you were with him in a powerful way. And so, God, we know that there's a need in this dark world we live in for more light to come. We want you to do amazing things through us. So God, use us, help us to honor you. And God, I pray that, that each of us this week would spend some time with some of these questions that we've asked today. And we would think through how we can better honor you, live with integrity, and allow you to bring your covering and your blessing into our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Thanks for joining us at Church Experience Online. Please don't forget to check out the website if you'd like to get more connected, learn more, get your questions answered, or support this movement financially. You're now going to hear a Church Experience Worship original song, and we hope this gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned today. We can move mountains, your strength surrounding us. We can move mountains, Lord give us
Sing on.